So what does it mean to live on mission? To put your rights aside for the sake of the gospel. I mean, when you hear Jeff and Christine's story, you go, well, that's kind of what it means. You know, you leave the U.S., you leave a lot of the comforts, and you just kind of throw it all out there and just say, God help, and we're really willing to go and now do something miraculous. And he does do that, but is that just for missionaries? Is that just for those that feel like they have to do something crazy and out of culture? Or is that for you and I as we're in our first culture? We're not in a third world country. We're in first world. We're in a town. We're in a city. We're with people that we understand. We're in a culture that we understand. Can we do the same? Can we set our rights aside for the sake of the gospel that we would bear more fruit for Christ? Well, that's the incredible privilege of walking with Christ is you could say yes to any of that any given day. You could say no, I could say no. We could get distracted. We could live just kind of like, eh, eh, kind of lives, you know, spiritually speaking. Or we could say like, Lord, yeah, I want to bear more fruit for you. Well, that's what the Lord is going to teach us this morning. We're in 1 Corinthians, as you know, in the series, chapter 9. So turn there with me. And we're going to look at some verses that talk about how Paul put his rights aside for the sake of the gospel. And when I say that, it's for the sake that people would come to Christ, that they'd hear the invitation of his love and his grace. They'd see it modeled in our life. And because of that, they would want to know more about Christ and eventually give their lives for Christ. Paul lived that lifestyle. He understood how to live on mission, but he understood it came at a cost. So we're going to look at uh, these all of chapter 9, so bear with me. We'll have a little bit of reading on the front end to set kind of the context for this. In Corinth, a very wealthy city, a very secular city, uh, a church was planted there. As you know, this lot of temptation abounded. This early church had to be united. They had to be focused on Christ. Else they would be drugged away by the culture or by their own selfishness. Paul always wanted him to be focused on Christ. Not Apollos, remember, not Peter, not Paul, but on Christ himself. To put aside differences, to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit so they could live purposefully and on mission, but always to keep coming back to Christ and his plan. But as he did that, there was opposition. You know, some people in the culture wanted to kind of pick fights with Paul and argue and debate him, right? You know, the Jews were after him because he left the Jewish traditions to pursue Christ as the Messiah, who was Jewish, right? He was trying to say, oh no, this was all pointing to Christ. And yet he got berated and torn down and mocked, and ultimately we know he was beheaded because he stayed true to Christ in the gospel. But he was always attacked. He was always examined by those that wanted to find him wanting or something wrong. They just wanted to tear him down. And so he answers his critics in this chapter, and it's really a fascinating kind of display of truth and grace at the same time, and you'll hear that. So they're accusing him, and you'll see his response. Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? 
Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of shearing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now you noticed I bolded and underlined that last verse, right? Because that's really the focus, the key verse of this initial passage. Paul is being accused. It's like, oh, you, you think we're just going to put you up and give you food and drink and a place to stay? And Paul says, well, yeah, of course, that's what the Lord commanded. And he used all these really natural, normal examples. When you're the oxen are treading out the grain, do you muzzle them or do you let them eat? Well, it'd be kind of stupid to not let them eat. Thus, they lose their energy. Thus, they can't do their job. Of course, you let them eat while they're threshing, threshing out, treading out the grain. Okay, the vine dresser. So he plants this great vineyard. Is the vine dresser not going to eat of the grapes? Well, you kind of go like, well, duh, of course. Well, that's really his argument. It is it should be plain. It should be obvious. And in fact, if it isn't, just let me tell you, the Lord commanded it. That those that are pouring their heart and energy into sharing the gospel and doing it to such an extent that they can't work another job, it would make sense. And it does make sense. But they were trying to find any way to put Paul down or the gospel down or to find him to be wrong in some way. Paul understood that. Paul said, it's only natural, it's only right, and I do it for the sake of the gospel. Now, it's interesting because even after he lays that all out, he makes a big transition as he goes into verse 15. He says, but I'm not going to take those rights. I'm actually going to put them aside, and this is how he states it. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision." For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. And he's building toward this verse in 18 again. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. He understood that he had rights. He understood that Christ had laid this out as the way that those would give their full lives to the gospel should share in the provision that come from those that know Christ. He understood that he could demand those rights because Christ commanded it. But he said, I want to make the gospel free of charge. The last thing I would want is for someone to think that I left Judaism to follow Christ to go make money. That I had a hidden agenda and a hidden motivation that this was really all about me and my lifestyle. And if there would be any accusation against me and if the gospel or me as a follower of Christ would be defrauded, I won't even take those rights. 
Some of you know that Paul describes himself as a tent maker, that he actually made tents with his hands. So he could go from city to city. No matter where he was, he could make tents, get the materials. Some of you seamstresses out there probably can appreciate that somehow, sewing them together and laying them out. And I mean, he was good with his hands. God had gifted him that way. So he didn't want anyone to think it was about money. Isn't it a shame that so much of the gospel gets tied to money these days? You see people, maybe you see more of them on TV, and you just wonder, what in the world? What's their motivation? Well, Paul wanted to make sure that he was above and beyond that accusation. So if people examined him, he could say, I'm not even taking hold of the rights that I have been given. He says, necessity is laid upon me. I have been called to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He understood his calling. He understood that ranked above his rights or his comfort. He understood he had already given it all up. Remember, he was a, he was a, ben, he was a, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. He was an Israelite of Israelites. He understood the law. He was trained on the, under um, Gamaliel. And he understood what the law was all about. He had pride in what he knew and how he lived and that he didn't. He was living perfectly according to the law. Or so he thought. But then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, remember? Everything changed. Instead of murdering Christians and having them you know, locked up and murdered and taken away, all of a sudden he met this Jesus and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And from that point, he placed his faith in Christ. His life was touched and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross for him. Everything in his life had changed. He looked back on his incredibly rich pedigree, and he just says, I consider that trash now. I, I don't, that, that has nothing to do with me and my future now. I don't put my faith there. It's not earning it. It's not performing. It's not being better than. It's not you know, trying to climb a ladder of goodness and perfection to be accepted by this holy God. He knew he fell short. He knew it was all by grace. He had been touched and transformed by Christ. So now, whether his rights could be met or not, his greatest desire was to share the invitation that Jesus gives to all people. Okay, so now, as with all times that we open God's word, that's the context, but now it's, so what about me, right? Whenever you open God's Word on a daily basis, you read a few verses or a chapter, and you, you should always say, okay, do I understand the chapter? If not, get a good commentary. Dig into the notes at the bottom of your Bible. Get a good study Bible. Understand what was being said in the original context with the original people in the first century church. But then always take the next step prayerfully and say, but now what? What about me? So the torch has been handed to me. I'm a follower of Christ. What rights... Do I often cling to and get more wrapped up in than making the invitation of Christ to others? When do I get kind of trapped by a desire to be seen respectfully or have honor or be treated fairly in the world and I forget I can put those things aside and put my rights aside that I might display Christ more powerfully? That's what Paul was all about. Is it what we're about? Are we willing to say, Lord... Whatever rights I need to put aside in this setting with this person, I want to do that. Whether I'm included and get invited to this party, whether they all like my Facebook post, or whether I'm popular with this group, with my friends at school, the neighbors, a family member, am I willing to state the truth about who God is to me through Jesus? 
Am I proud of who Christ is, or do I try to play the camouflage, stay sort of hidden? You know, let's not get crazy. Paul just made that decision long ago. When he was touched and transformed by Christ, he understood, now we have the privilege of letting others know how they can be rescued by this great Savior. And he lived intentionally. He was dedicated. I mean, you could say he was extreme. Actually, I just think he got it. Don't you? It's just we see the example and we go, well, extreme from where I'm living. Okay, that's probably true for a lot of us. But not extreme, just biblical. And more and more how we can say, Lord, help me to put my rights aside so that someone can hear about Christ or see Christ more in me. That was modeled by Christ, wasn't it? Remember when Jesus, that man said, hey, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. I want to be your disciple. I'll follow you anywhere. He just goes, "Um, yeah, the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Still want to go? I don't know where you're going to sleep. You probably sleep where I'm going to sleep, and I'm not sure where that's going to be. I sleep outside, or someone opens their door to their house. Awesome. If not, I'll be sleeping outside. That's what he's saying. Are you going to try to hold on to your rights and follow me, or are you really going to just follow me? Are you going to trust me? A lot of times it's like, Lord, I'll follow you, but on these conditions. I'll follow you if there's enough comfort. I'll follow you if I can keep my lifestyle. I'll follow you if people don't look weird at me. You know, I don't want to stand out in the culture. It's getting weird for Christians these days. I don't want to be one of them. Well, do you think that it's, well, let me, you know, what I'm sensing in the culture, it's, it's becoming more black and white. You're either a real believer in Christ, and you know the word, and you're getting to know Christ more, and the Holy Spirit's becoming more alive in your life, or you kind of discover you never really were a follower because you're less interested and you don't want to pay a price and you know your rights might get trampled on. And you kind of know it's not going to be fair. And you might feel like, man, you're going to get targeted. You're going to get pushed aside by someone in your business or a family member. I think it's a good question for us today. Am I willing to follow Jesus like that? Am I willing to put my rights aside or if anyone chooses to trample on my rights? I'm not included, I'm not honored, doesn't seem fair, not respected. I think I've gone backwards in the eyes of some people. Are you willing to just say, it is what it is? Because I'm looking for those that are open to Christ. I'm looking to be all things to all men that I might save some. You'll see how Paul lived that out. So living out the gospel comes before my rights. Paul was living it. That's the example and the principle for us. Maybe as I'm sharing this, you're thinking of a few rights you kind of cling to. You feel like it's your protection and your security. If I get viewed like this, that kind of makes me feel a little safer. My boss or workmates see me a certain way. If a family member doesn't quite know everything, but I'm I'm comfortable with that. I don't know if I'm really comfortable. People really knowing the real me. Maybe it's I'm not comfortable being weak or just letting people know I struggle, but I'm still loving Jesus. That actually frees people up. They, they find you as very human. <laughs> so they're like, oh, really? <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, okay, great. Not trying to be perfect or put on a show. They're being real. But the question, again, will I be willing to put my rights aside for the sake of the gospel and making Christ and his invitation clear to people? Well, Paul said the way you do that is through servanthood. That's the second point. Living out the gospel comes before my rights, and living out the gospel happens through my servanthood. Verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself 
under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not, my, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So again, I underlined the key points here, right? The first being that Paul said, Though I'm free from all, I make myself a servant. I choose. No one's forcing me. But I'm choosing to follow Christ. I'm choosing to want him to transform my selfishness into servanthood. I'm choosing to want to lay out the invitation through my words and my lifestyle so that people see Jesus. I'm going to choose it. Paul said it comes through servanthood. He said to the Jews who under the law became like the Jews. Now, Paul was very comfortable with the Jews. Remember, that was his heritage. Now, he didn't place his faith or hope in the law. He just understood its purpose. So he could share that and help those come to an understanding of the purpose of the law and the commandments and the patriarchs, that it was all pointing to Christ. He could observe the feast, but with more meaning. He could say the feast is pointing to someone, Jesus. He could give them the meaning of what they just followed in tradition. So he's comfortable with the Jews. He was comfortable with the Gentiles. He understood they were trapped in all kinds of sin, and they just kind of went for it. It was just like, party on! The Gentiles, just pleasure and possessions, and that was all Corinth. Sex and any, just whatever he wanted to do. He understood that without Christ, how else were they supposed to act? Just living, just, yeah! He understood it, and he was comfortable, and he wasn't so, maybe so touchy or so offended. He just knew... They don't know Christ yet. Who's talked to them about another alternative? That there's greater life in Christ than in the way their freedom, quote-unquote freedom, is expressing itself. They don't even know God. They can't. They're trapped, even though they feel so free. He was comfortable. He was comfortable with the weak. If you remember the last chapter, and you'll see it again, that Paul understood that those that were new in the Lord still had some struggles in understanding, and he could feel comfortable. Remember, he describes himself in 2 Corinthians as a tender mother with their children. He understood how to be gracious, to teach people, bring them along. He'd blast them. He wasn't a condemning. He just could share truth, and he was comfortable with those that are weak. He was comfortable with the broken. He knew he was to remember the poor and everywhere they went, right? In all the churches, he, he taught to remember the poor. He understood that broken people need tenderness and compassion. People that are trapped in their sin in the world need tenderness and compassion and truth. He said, I can be that with them. Pretty awesome, right? He said, I'll just be a servant everywhere I go. I'll be a servant to the Jews, the Gentiles. I'll be a servant to the weak. You know, if there's the intellectual, I can talk with the intellectual. I'm not going to put my pride and hope there. I'll just show them that real intellectual understanding is biblical and all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. And so he can redirect even the intellectuals and the philosophers 
So you ready for the question? How about you and how about me? Will we have that kind of dedication to say, I will view all my relationships, the people in my life right now, I'm playing at this job in this neighborhood with these family, family members around and these friends, I have an opportunity now. Can I put my rights aside to see some of them see Christ more clearly in me? Am I okay being kind of either ignored or trampled on or someone else getting something that seems more fair? And my response can look a lot like Christ or just like Christ. And then they see Christ in me. That's where people are going to see Christ in you, is when you're forgotten and you're, you're lied about or, or someone's doing something nasty to you or whatever, the world just turns on you and you have a different response. They see Jesus. They see patience. Patience is not of the world, but it's of God. They see humility. That's not of the world, but it's of God. They see uh, long-suffering. They see compassion. That's not of the world, but it's of God. And if God lives in you by His Spirit, you'll get to display that. And for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those people that are hearing and watching your life and benefiting from your servanthood toward them, they see Jesus. That's how Paul was living. That's what he's reminding you and me. Are we, do we want that? Not are we there yet. The first question is, do we want it? So wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, we just say, Lord, let's start an experiment. <laughs> I'll start praying that I want to do that more. And will you give me the faith to actually help me want it? And then would you give me opportunities to love sacrificially the way you did, Jesus? And then would you show me that that's making some kind of impact? And then will you pour your grace on me when I see my rights possibly trampled on by that person or others in the world? You start praying like that, God will answer that prayer every time, and you'll start to grow, and you'll start to see that your life is changing in front of your own eyes. You know the most awesome thing is when you are walking with God and you know He's changing you. And you know what's really cool? You can't hide that. That's what I love about walking with the Lord. When his spirit is full in you, there's an overflow. Guess who gets blessed? Actually, every person that knows you gets blessed, whether they're going to respond to Christ or not. They're blessed by patience. They're blessed by loving sacrifice. They're blessed by your love. They're blessed when you look them in the eye and you have a long conversation, you show you care. They're blessed when you don't run away when it gets tough. They're blessed. They're blessed. They're blessed, just as God's changing you. You're blessed. You go out as a blessing. People are made thirsty and curious about Christ because they literally see him in you. You've heard that phrase, right? That maybe the only Bible they'll ever read is you. Maybe the only Jesus they'll ever see is you. How are you representing him? How am I representing him? I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That's pretty extreme dedication, right? I'm not running a race. To just kind of like get the t-shirt, maybe walk a little, catch my breath, <laughs> love the drinks along the way, <laughs> want to squirt one of those really sweet, you know, whatever, five-hour, what do they call those things? Get the t-shirt, talk about it later. I want, I'm going to run the race to win. May not win, but I'm going to run the race to win. I know Christ already won it, but now he wants me to run as if to win. It's like a boxer. You know, you've seen those boxers when they're doing those ads, you know, for the next match that's coming up. You know, they're doing all the ducking and everything right and left, right, and then blocking. Just going. What if that's all the training that boxer did? What's going to happen when he steps in the ring? 24 seconds, he's on his face. There's going to be a ding, and it's going to be you lose. That's how fast that happens. 
Do you know that a lot of Christians, though, like to just kind of box the air? You know, another study, a little deeper in the Word. Memorize a little bit more. You know, everyone knows I'm a Christian. I go to a lot of stuff. But maybe you're boxing the air. I mean, you might look good, but the truth is, are you loving people more sacrificially? Are you more patient literally this week than you were last week? Can people go like, what happened? You must be having a really good day. You ever have people say that to you? Why are you so happy? I saw someone that day. I don't want to embarrass them, but they're always smiling. Like there's so much joy in their face, and I know their life, it's not perfect. Challenges there. There's something contagious. When the world sees you, do they go, there's something different, and it's contagious, and it's awesome. That's running the race to win. That's not just boxing and practicing. It's actually taking what you learn and applying it. And that's what Paul was saying. Don't worry about your rights. Just go live the gospel. Be a sacrificial lover of people. We did this uh, memorial service for Stan Orman yesterday over there in the NPR. And uh, I didn't realize this much about Stan. I knew it a little bit. I knew he was a great, he was a servant. He helped us do a VBS uh, when we did Weird Animals, uh, not this year, but the year before. And he's back in the back with Tosh before we opened this part of the sanctuary. So literally, he was right here. So Tosh and him are just painting and building and this huge like Disney level set, like going crazy, just pouring their heart so that 250 kids could come and have a blast learning about Jesus and having community in Christ's name. And I saw that, and I just go like, wow, no one's probably ever really going to know. And that's the point. Really, when you're humble, you don't care. You're doing it for Christ. You're doing it for the impact he can have through your life. So he was serving. But one of the cool things after the memorial is I was talking to someone out here, and they were Stan and Kathy's neighbors. And they go, yeah, and they just started telling me story after story. Like, oh, yeah, he, I, we never really had to tell him anything. He just always saw what we were doing, came over and helped. And when we got stuck, he just came over and fixed it. <laughs> and the guy was telling me, you know, my back has been a problem, and I just can't do it. He'll go on the roof. He'll just do whatever. He goes, anything we ever needed, Stan was there to help. With tears in their eyes, and then this is what the wife said. She goes, he's the most loving Christian that, that like, displayed it. I've ever seen. Now, you may not know that about Stan. kind of goes together, usually unless you're close to him. But those that saw his life saw him as a sacrificial servant, and he made an impact, and he was shining the reflection of Christ to his neighbors. Pretty powerful. Is that a desire, too? Are we that dedicated? Are we willing to put ourselves aside to show the sacrificial love of Christ in all the practical ways we can? to bridge any distance or difference between a person in need and ourself. Oh, well, they're different than me. I don't even know their language. Oh, they, there's different socioeconomic level. Oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with them. Oh, I don't know if they like me. Oh, they, they at work, they don't mix with people like they are. Oh, they, and just, are you willing to say, oh, Lord, you give me the grace, and I'll bridge that distance or that difference. I will do it if you help me get across whatever weirdness or selfishness or difference there may be, I'm just going to show the love of Christ. And then, like, I'll just put it in your hands, Lord, and see what happens. What a way to live. You want to live an adventure, you guys? Anyone want to live at a higher level with God than they currently do? More fruitful, more exciting, more like, I better really pray about this because I don't know. I said yes. What was I thinking? <laughs> and now I'm going to do it. <laughs> live that way. Take a step. 
Speak up, speak out, show up, serve in some way you don't typically. See what the Lord would do. Have that level of dedication. Bridging any distance or difference to display Christ. And then be really prayerful about it. So John Wolfe, you know him, he's one of our elders. Uh, he celebrated 60 years of life yesterday. And, uh, and I was thinking about John, and it hit me as I was writing down, being prayerful. God put him on my mind because I've gotten more emails or texts from John Wolfe about little random things that no one should really text you about. I'm, hey, I'm going to hang out with my brother. Would you pray for me? I'm going, to, I'm going to this funeral, and a lot of people there don't know the Lord. You know, a lot of them come from a Catholic background and this and that, and John did. And he says, I really want to minister to them. Or, you know, I'm going to go be, hang out with so-and-so. And, so. and he's texting me because he wants me to what? Pray. Because he believes in the power of prayer, and he's seen it active in his life. And he always wants prayer coverage. He always wants people to join him in praying for those encounters, those opportunities, that lunch, that visit with the family members, you know, whatever it was. And it's always a reminder to me to continue to pray very specifically and get others to pray with you. That we could be faithful to our calling. That we would say, woe is me if I know I've been touched and transformed by Christ to not live on purpose for the kingdom and on mission. Woe is me. But I need to get others to pray for me because I want to go live it. And if you do that in your life group, you have people praying for you, right? That's where you send your email. Hey, guys, I'm going to go hang out with so-and-so. And, you know, it's really hard with them. Would you pray grace for me? Would you pray that the Lord would use me? Whatever the need is. She's in the hospital, guys. Would you pray for me? Would you give me an opportunity with the doctors and nurses, even though I am kind of overwhelmed? I know it's not a mistake. We'll be there and we'll be able to shed and share the love of Christ. No place in your life is an accident. You didn't drive into that gas station or go to that restaurant or whatever by accident. Jeff and Christine were sharing that there was a guy here for the first time ever in this church, happened to be the brother-in-law of the pastor of the church they went to for years in Uganda. Like, is there ever really random, like, oh, it just happened? No, not with Christians. So you go, all right, so is tomorrow going to be random or is it going to be orchestrated and purposeful, me being on mission, putting my rights aside, okay, so they ignore me, okay, so they may not like me, okay, well, whatever. I'm going to love people and I'm going to find ways, Lord, to show them to me, to sacrifice in my response, in my service, in my help, in my prayer for that person. Then I think we're getting this message. And I realize for any of us, it's, it's a challenge to say, Lord, I'm available to this. Ask the Holy Spirit for help right now. He lives in you, right? Ask him for help. Don't be ashamed of asking God for help or feeling weak. That's actually the best place to be. Because when you feel weak before God, he said his strength will be made perfect in your weakness. So here's the review. Living out the gospel comes before my rights. Living out the gospel happens through my servanthood. And here's a way we can reflect on it, and I pray for you and for myself. This would be a great question for us in prayer right now. What rights do I need to put aside in order to better serve and love someone to Jesus? With that on your heart, let's go to the Lord, okay? And let's just pray and pour it out before him.
Father, I'm so grateful for people in my life long ago that put their rights aside, that said what was inconvenient, shared the truth, took time to love and pray for me, that I could understand the invitation and say yes to you. And you have touched and transformed my life. Woe is me if I didn't preach your gospel and make that invitation clear to others. Father, you've touched and transformed so many of us here. Can you tell the Lord that? Thank you for touching and transforming my life. Giving me so much grace and patience and love. All my hope is in you, Lord. I know who I am as your child. I know where I'm headed, home to heaven one day. The promises overwhelm me, and they're all true for me. Lord, I pray that would make me super grateful and humble before you. And Father, now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. Holy Spirit, help me to not only desire this level of dedication to your gospel for the sake of Christ, Lord, but actually be excited about the potential that any day holds if I would live truly following you, truly available to you. Putting my rights aside for the sake of your wonderful gospel, Jesus, Please, Lord, use my life even more. May your grace flow through me to my spouse, to my children. May your grace flow through me to my friends, my business associates. May your grace flow through me sacrificially to those in my neighborhood. Lord, show me more ways to let your love impact others. Lord, thanks that we can praise you receive our worship receive our offering lord thanks for being so generous may we be generous to your cause the cause of the kingdom in this church and through this church lord and uh, we ask you just to receive our worship now